Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. I'm your host, Leah Witchick. Today, we're going to hear from the perspective of an emerging health leader. I'm sitting down with Candice Simser. Candice graduated as a registered nurse in 2003 with her diploma and began her nursing career in Edmonton at the University of Alberta Hospital. She completed her Bachelor of Nursing in 2013 and will continue to be a lifelong learner. Since then, she has worked throughout Alberta, in Saskatchewan, and also in Arizona, and she feels that working in all of these different areas has made her an open-minded and adaptable person. She's worked in many types of units, facilities, community settings, and has learned the value of each group having their own culture. Her leadership experience began with being in charge of nursing units and then as a hospital supervisor. Now she has been in management for the last two years and continues to be challenged and learn something every day from her teams. She is a very active family and her husband and her love to be busy with their two kids, ages 10 and 7. Walking their two dogs is a family favorite. They love to have new experiences, whether it is through traveling or trying new foods. Hi, Candice. How are you today? I'm doing great, Leah. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Welcome to Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. I have a lot that I would like to cover off with you today, um, but before we get into everything that I had planned, I just wanted to check in and see how you are managing and how your staff and your team are managing during our COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, I'll be honest, it's a big challenge. There's so much change coming and trying to stay on top of the newest and best practices is is a full-time job just with that. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think fear is heavy everywhere right now and definitely weighs on everyone's minds. And I think um, day-to-day, we're trying to do our best, keep each other and our residents safe. And I think it leaves a lot of strength with the staff watching how well they are pulling together and the care they're providing. It's just, it's amazing to watch. They're an inspiration. That's really beautiful. And it's amazing to hear that they're coming together despite that fear and that anxiety that people are having, uh, that they are coming together with that intent to provide excellent care to the residents as they always do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really glad to hear that things are, are coming along with that. Yeah. So why don't we dig into a little bit about your career? If you can tell me about how you got started and how you got to the place that you're at, that would be great. Sure. Um, I started uh, by finishing my diploma in nursing back in 2003. And when I completed that, I went straight into working on a surgical ward in neurosurgery up at the University of Alberta Hospital, which was such an amazing first experience. I learned so much and it's still something that is useful in day-to-day work. Absolutely. I think with my career from there, it kind of 
sparked that interest in me to learn more specialties and more interesting facts just in nursing in general and how many different areas we could work within. Um, I had gone to work down in the States for a year and then I come back to Alberta. And at that point, I realized I wanted to continue my education as well and work towards my degree. And I completed my degree in 2013 after working in a few other areas in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And now here I am down in rural Alberta and enjoying the benefits of rural and facility nursing, which is so different from where I first started. I think every place I've worked, I've been inspired by colleagues or leaders in the workplace that I can make things better. I could learn more and make more of a difference. And that just kept me kind of always searching out new opportunities and new learning experiences. Now, I'm curious to hear, because you've worked both in the U.S. and Canada, what were some of those differences that you noticed between the two countries? There, there's so many similarities and so many differences. Where to begin is actually a bit of a challenge. <laughs> I'd say the biggest thing that the impression it was left on me was in the United States, we had a slightly different focus with patient care. So I was working in a hospital. Actually, I worked at one more inner city hospital and one that was a very nice brand new hospital. So they were complete opposite ends of the spectrum with care and insurances and everything. And the main thing that I took away was the more business aspect that I did not enjoy my focus being on how much was this cath lab gonna cost for this person or couldn't use an extra change of linens for this person because they couldn't afford um, the extra costs that could ensue. So that really that weighed heavy on my heart and it definitely was an instigating factor of me coming back to Canada. Yeah, I hear that. I think often those of us who have only worked in the Canadian system or or systems that operate similar to, to Canada, the idea of tracking our our spending, so to speak, in terms of what we're using with patients is something that's a really foreign concept. And I hear what you're saying about this being heavy on your heart and challenging to to maybe wrap your brain around because uh, your focus is caring for someone and doing whatever needs to be done to care for that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there an experience or a story from your time in the U.S. that really... Um, maybe pushed you to to come back to Canada or or was it just kind of an overarching decision? Um, I think there was lots of little instances. I'd say the main one that really still strikes me and it, it's been, I moved back to Canada in 2006 and I'd had a conversation with a cardiac patient and he was supposed to be staying around for treatment and going through the cath lab and getting stents and everything he needed to have done. And I was having a conversation in the hallway as he was trying to leave the hospital. He said, I'll just sign out. I said, well, you realize signing out against medical advice makes your insurance null and void. And that's how it works down there or did at that time at that hospital. And he says to me, then it's still going to cost less than if I stay here and have any more procedures done. Wow. 
Wow. I remember saying to him, looking him dead in the eye and going, but you could die. And he goes, hmm. Wow. And, and as nurses, we have these conversations about end of life all the time. And I won't say all of them stick with me, but that one really did. I was really surprised that financially it would make that big of a difference that is your life worth this? And he was willing to say, yeah, it did. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And, you know, for him, that's probably the reality mm-hmm. that he's dealing with. Like, that's the choice for him and so many others. That's the choice that they're dealing with. Um, and I could. Yeah, it really was. And I can only imagine how uh, challenging that is when when that's completely out of your control. Oh, completely. Yeah, that was. Yeah even harder to take. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe share a little bit about the site you're at now and the management that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about what your your day-to-day looks like. For sure. So my day-to-day now is I'm a site manager and different completely in management yet again. (laughs) And it's a new position for me because I've stepped into the site manager role here in the last few months. Um. With those sites I cover, it's now three rural sites. And the main one that I'm based mostly out of is long-term care. This long-term care site is huge. It's the care they provide is absolutely amazing. They're such a great team. And day to day, I wish I had a, this is what every day looks like. Sure doesn't. No two days are the same. That's for sure. (laughs) But it's so, it's so interesting. And it's such such a rewarding position to be there to really support and either bring ideas together or to every now and again have an interesting idea that may work out. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite an interesting position for sure. How many beds do you have? It's a 100-bed long-term care facility. So they have one respite bed and they have um, 99 long-term care beds. That's uh, quite a few beds there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and what's the staffing numbers like? Um, basically, we're broken into two units. Nursing-wise, the staffing, uh, we have our optimal numbers, and we hope every day we hit all our staff. I'll be honest, it's a challenge to staff in rural, especially because the workforce is primarily made up of healthcare aides. So having healthcare aides, they they're such an amazing part of the workforce. They really provide so much care and the knowledge they have is amazing. And it's hard sometimes to get the knowledge they have out of them because it's just, it's just what they do. It's just their job. <laughs> and our numbers, I'd say on any given day, we probably have about, give or take, 20 nurses in the building. And then we've got lots of other um, supports throughout the site that are just as important when we've got our housekeeping of course our kitchen staff maintenance volunteers recreation there's there's a lot going on it's it's never a quiet place that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> that's right so you said something that was really interesting to me about the challenge of staffing a rural site and i think that's something that unless you're actually involved or working in a rural environment 
sometimes you don't necessarily think about those added challenges that come with being a rural location and a rural site. So, so staffing can be challenging. Um, what other challenges would you say are unique to rural? There's probably even more than I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> I think the biggest thing with rural is you get used to kind of making do with less, mm-hmm. but the teams are so much more invested. Like this is really people's home grounds. Mm-hmm. They're often caregiving for family members, loved ones, community members they've known for decades. So mm-hmm. some of the challenges lie even in that, that you're dealing with staff members who happen to be family and caregiving for other family members who live at the site. <laughs> so it's it's a completely different work environment. Mm. But at the same time, it's just, it's like coming home. Everyone's so welcoming. They're like just really, truly good people. That's so beautiful. That idea of coming home. Um, and, and mm-hmm. that's just ideally what we want our long-term care centers to be like everywhere. Absolutely. Um, so that's so interesting that in rural, um, perhaps that's embedded to a certain degree, just because the communities are tight-knit and people have known each other for so many years. So Candace, what inspired you to move away from your clinical work into a leadership position? I'd say the biggest inspiration was, it was one particular performance appraisal I had when I was working in the emergency room and my manager at the time pulled me aside and it was completely unknown to me. So I didn't see myself the same way she obviously saw. And she really spoke to where areas of growth were for me and how she saw me as a natural leader. And that really left an impression on me going, really? I am? <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't see that in myself. So really trusting others and what they saw in me and then being able to focus on where could I help more? Where could I make more of a difference? So it was really that drive to make a difference, to have more influence. I don't want to say more impact because we know Frontline has such an impact on patient care. Oh, absolutely. A different type of influence. Yeah, kind of that bigger picture where I could not just affect the however many people I worked with in that day, which was still so rewarding. But how could I fix some of the maybe more system issues or other things that kind of bothered me sometimes about our frontline nursing that kind of get in the way of providing great care. So you said that when this this person pulled you aside and said that according to her or in her eyes, you're a natural leader, you said that you didn't necessarily feel that about yourself. Um, I'm curious, do you feel that about yourself now? I think I still have my doubts in myself completely, (laughs) sometimes on a daily basis. But being able to take a step back and go, okay, look what I've done. Listen to the people I trust. And that gives me the confidence to continue on. So I ask this question of almost everyone that I have talked with, because I think it's just such a really insightful question. And it's along the lines of what you were just saying about having those, those self-doubts, but looking back on where you've been and how far you've come and the things that you've been able to accomplish. What do you wish you had known when you started out in leadership? I wish that when I was feeling 
what am I doing? I don't know what this all entails. I wish I had known that that was a normal feeling. Everyone kind of feels that way at some point and everyone feels that way at some point or another. And we're just learning on the rule. I wish I'd known to be nicer to myself. <laughs> I wish I'd known to set better boundaries and not just work myself harder and harder. So that's really interesting, uh, both pieces about being nicer to yourself and also setting boundaries. Because I think what often occurs, particularly for those who are maybe newer in a leadership role, is uh, a sense of, I just have to keep going, uh, you know, one foot in front of the other, and the workload becomes immense. And they just keep taking on more and more and more. So what have you done to help yourself to, to be nicer to yourself, but also to put some of those boundaries in place? Setting appointments for myself that kind of become unbreakable, where it's at self-care. In the mornings, setting aside that time, making sure, like I like to do some sort of physical exercise in the morning. Um, right now, everything's kind of shut down, so you make do with what you've got. <laughs> don't, don't let it get completely stopped. Um, so setting that time to make sure I do yoga for half an hour or that time to clear my head. Um, time to eat. That's a big one for me that easily goes by the wayside. And I don't do well when I'm not eating. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, most of us don't. <laughs> no. and. It's funny how quickly that goes by the wayside because there's so many things coming at you. And oh, look at this. I got to go here. I got to talk to this person. And really, all it takes is sometimes 15 minutes of just sitting down eating. Or I've learned now that people will walk in. If I'm eating, I just tell them, I'm going to keep eating while you talk. <laughs> and just communicating that part, right? And a lot of people, they just, it is what it is. They're fine with it. And I think it's, that's part of also being nicer to myself that I don't just have to give of myself all the time. It can be more of that partnership with people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to give yourself all the time. It's more of a partnership. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like it was a really big lesson. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah. So simple, yet so, so impacting every day of work and life. Yeah. Well, and I think. For those of us that are involved or work in healthcare, because that drive to make a difference and to care is so strong, it's really easy to let ourselves go by the wayside and forget about the things that we need to do to keep ourselves well, keep ourselves whole, and be able to, to offer that care that we want to give. Um, so everything you just mm -hmm. said really resonates with me. I mean, I certainly remember working 12-hour shifts without eating once. Aha! Uh -huh. And it's easy. It's easy that we can do that as nurses. Exactly. <laughs> and it's easy to kind of slip into that, almost that habit. Um, yeah. But I think your point of self-care is really pertinent and really, uh, I mean, it's such a valuable point, particularly in the situation that we find ourselves in right now, where work is only going to get busy, busier, it's only going mm -hmm. to get more stressful. And we're it having, will. yeah, and we're having to 
change the way we operate. Um, so, Candice, so as a newer leader, what do you th- what would you say has been the biggest challenge for you in this transition? Oh, there's been so many. <laughs> to pick one would be a challenge. I'm kind of struggling with that as to which one would be. But I'd say not giving up in the really challenging situations, continuing being resilient. And like I said earlier, being nice to myself. I think that the challenging situations cover so many possibilities. Like I've had so many conversations with staff, clients, or their families. And I really wish there was someone else there to do it. (laughs) And as a manager, I know that's my role. And that kind of helps me shift my focus going. As a nurse, it's easier for me if I'm looking as I'm stepping up, I'm helping out somebody else, or I'm protecting certain staff members where it gives me that confidence and power of where to come from in the conversation. Because I remember as a new nurse, how glad I was to learn from others or from other management, watching them have those conversations and really being so grateful it wasn't me. (laughs) And now I hope to leave that impact on other people. So that'd be probably the biggest challenge is stepping into being comfortable with being uncomfortable. What does that look like? Being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Having those same worries, doubts, all those emotions that go on in those difficult conversations or difficult situations, and still being able to put those behind you and have those conversations anyways. And still knowing that it can have maybe not ending with a happy ending or happy conversation, but still having the outcome that has to occur. Because we know not all conversations can be happy ones. And some of our conversations are incredibly challenging. So when the outcome is not a happy one, what do you do to reconcile your emotions and the way you're feeling with that outcome? I'd say sometimes those emotions sit heavy, even for a matter of days. And that's okay too. And it's acknowledging our humanity and being human that we're still going to have those, those challenges and working through it. And that's going to look different with every conversation. I, I wish I had a, this works for everything. I haven't found that yet. <laughs> but being able to to still have honest conversations, whether it's with like yourself, Lee, as a coach or with a close family member, but it does get hard when we're looking at confidentiality as to you know who those people are that we can open up to with different situations. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point about you're not able to always share all the details of a conversation with your spouse or a friend because of those confidentiality concerns. So what I'm hearing is from you is it's about figuring out who can be a sounding board that you can be open with. Precisely. Yeah. 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 What gets you up in the morning? Oh, I'd say there's so many things. I'd say 
on a daily basis, it'd be my kids. It'd be <laughs> <laughs> both literally and figuratively. <laughs> I can relate. And, just, <laughs> and, you know, the the love and the energy, right? Yeah. I think as as a nurse, as a leader, I think what really inspires me is knowing that there's going to be something I could make better that day. I just try to think of the bigger picture over what gives me that inspiration. So sometimes it's looking from inspiration with other staff members or, you know, this meeting went really well. Sometimes it's not as impactful as I would even have hoped it was for that day or that week. But taking that step back and going, okay, maybe this week wasn't good, but look what happened last week or look what happened over this last month and being able to take on that wider perspective. And I think that's a really good point is, you know, every day we're not always able to pick out a moment in which we've had significant impact or we've made a major change or whatnot. But it's about all of those little incremental changes that we make along the way, they start to add up. And then you are able to see that that bigger picture um, or that bigger moment. That's exactly it. And if I don't look at that, it doesn't give me that energy each day to go, okay, we've got this. <laughs> so I, I would love for you to maybe share a story of maybe a moment that in which you knew your leadership had made a difference? I'd say the first moment I remember as a, a leader in my career where I really noticed where I had that leadership role and had made a difference. I was a hospital supervisor at a, at a site out in Saskatchewan, and I was on the day shift. It was like mid-morning or so. And all of a sudden, the hospital's water was suddenly shut off. So. As a supervisor of the site, the it was about a hundred bed facility. The maintenance is calling, the dialysis unit's calling me, the units are calling, all trying to figure out what's going on. And I had never encountered a situation like that before, and nobody else had on site either. It was one of those one offs, and somehow I get lucky with getting those one offs. <laughs> so I found that. You know, I had to talk to each department and it's a hard balance of keeping a calm, cool demeanor, providing people that leadership, not showing the frantic, oh my goodness, what am I going to do that you feel on the inside and keeping that communication with the departments and delegating where I could, it was able to figure out where the part priorities were for that day and for that situation so we were able to get through it it was all good nobody was harmed <laughs> it was it was stressful for sure I think when looking back I just remember going oh my priority is dialysis that's where I have to be right now <laughs> and when the management and the director followed up with me the next day and whatever the next business day was I don't remember it was quite a while back they let me know how well reports had come back to them that had things had gone and they were happy uh, with my remember the one manager telling me with my calm and cool demeanor 
I remember laughing and being like, oh, I'm glad everyone else thought so. Because <laughs> I knew I felt anything but. And at the same time, I knew that that was, that was my role as a leader, is to provide people that confidence that we were going to get through it together, we were a team, and things were going to be okay, even when I didn't maybe necessarily know that or feel that at the moment. Because you were newer in the, the leadership scope, what have you done to maybe gain the knowledge and the skills and the expertise that you've needed for your role? I honestly ask a ton of questions. You really can't be afraid of not knowing information or not having the answers. You have to know who your resources are. Those networks are so important. I'd say a lot of lists. <laughs> I'd have my urgent, like, this is what I need to learn right away. Because sometimes you have to get certain education to get access to different systems or to provide your staff access to different systems. Um, it was really quite overwhelming. It still is going, oh, well, how much do I not know that I need to know? And yeah, networks are so important. And having those open door communications where whether it's another manager or it's one of your colleagues or even somebody that reports to you as a direct report knowing that we're all learning and that questions are okay a question that bubbled up for me was what is the scariest moment you've had as a leader to be honest it'd be on the sunday evening when covid19 was just starting to amp up during all our provincial closures and hearing for me personally, schools are shut down, daycares are shut down, and they're talking about long-term care being shut down and having literally my two worlds collide. And my husband also works in healthcare, so we both know we're going to be working more than full-time hours. And now with our kids having no childcare, having no school, we don't have family nearby. So it's one of those being momentarily paralyzed with that overwhelming how many things are going to have to be done because that's literally five o'clock on Sunday afternoon. This is all going to change in the next like 12 hours. You, you said you felt paralyzed by this. And I think this is something that, well, one, it's so topical. And I think so many people can, can relate to that, that surprise and that feeling of almost hopelessness in that, what, what am I going to do about this? Yeah. So what did you have to do to move past that sense of being paralyzed? I had to sit with it for a little bit, honestly. Just kind of soak it in going, okay, where, where is my first to-do? And it probably took me a little while to even digest all the information coming at me. And then it was getting in communication with people who I know would be of support. So not just my husband and my kids sitting right there in the house with me, but neighbors, friends, family, people that could be of that support. And then, of course, after, you know, my top priority, to be honest, is still my children. So trying to make sure they were cared for and then being, all right, now the next hurdle. 
what are we going to do for the long-term care site? Because it's so important to me to keep our elderly safe and keep the staff at the site safe. And going, this is unprecedented. Where, where do we begin on these kind of situations? It sounds like you just took it one step at a time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you raise a really good point about really sitting with it and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we're dealing with moments or situations of extreme stress and, and shock even as well, uh, as you said, the whole situation is completely unprecedented sitting with those emotions and those feelings that are coming up for you and then thinking about, okay, what's, what's the first thing I could do? How do I break this down? How do I t- put one foot in front of the other and, and move forward with this? Yeah. Cause once you take that first step, things become a little bit more clear. Things look a little bit easier. One thing done. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really good point in that if you can take those small steps, as you mentioned, things do start to become a little more clear or look a little more clear. So Candace, I'm curious to hear, what do you wish more experienced leaders might know about the newer or the emerging leader? Oh, truly overwhelming that is to start as a new leader. It's so much to learn and there's no orientation checklist like there is for as a registered nurse starting on a unit, you've got to learn here and you get orientated by a buddy here, you go there, do this. There isn't that for management. It's so much more autonomous and so much more self-learning that's that you don't know what you don't know. And where do you even start to learn what you need to? Especially in rural that we don't have as maybe much turnover as they do at larger sites or in a hospital where you have another manager at the next unit just down the just down the hall whereas rural my closest manager was a half hour plus drive away so there was no easily accessible people but that's where you get really comfortable with emails and phones and using all the modes of communication mm-hmm. you just make it work mhm i always think about um For those who work the front line, we have policies, we have procedures, you know, everything is in a manual or many things I should say are in a manual and we just follow that step by step. Mm -hmm. And then we take people out of that environment and then put them in a role that, as you said, is so autonomous and there is no procedure manual for how to be a manager. There is no procedure manual for how to be a leader. And so that's where those supports really need to come into place. So what supports or resources do you wish you had? So when I started, I really wish I had had a a checklist. And I realized that was not even reasonable. (laughs) But that's what my comfort level was from previous positions. And I really felt that there were so many resources missing when I began that first role going, how do I make all this work? How do I learn all of this? And at the same time, even though I wished at that point I'd had those, I'm glad that it also gave me the space to be myself and to let some of my strengths come out and 
learned to utilize totally different avenues that I wouldn't have thought of before. So it was a challenging learning experience, but so, so wonderful at the end, because you do really have to make leadership your own and it has to be your own style. Yeah, that's so interesting about that desire to have this checklist or this, this thing that can support you um, (laughs) and walk you through how, how management works. But in the end, you're seeing that because you had to rely on yourself, you were able to draw those strengths forward and, and gain the skills and, and make it your own. Mm-hmm. And I was really fortunate in the supportive management that surrounded me that really helped facilitate that, where there wasn't what I was maybe looking for as a checklist, but I had those networks to support me and encourage me. Mm. Nice, nice. And that was going to be my next question of what supports do you have and did you have and how have they made a difference for you? Personally, with my support of my husband and my kids, I'm very fortunate. They're, they're really grounded. They keep me grounded. <laughs> they give me time to decompress and they also hold me accountable. So conversations with them have made a really big difference for me because we've learned, even with my kids who are young, they're 10 and 7 that we can have really open conversations about, did I stay at work too late? Have I been working too much? And it always makes me chuckle because my question when I ask, especially my 10-year-old boy, I'll say, I work too much this week. And he looks at me, kind of squints, do you think you work too much this week? (laughs) And it holds me not just accountable to them, but to myself, where there's not that room where it's really easy to lie to ourselves. Oh, I really had to stay late this or whatever may come up and I've yeah like I said earlier there's so much um maybe luck and fortune and who I have as a management team around me where my director is just beyond amazing I couldn't have wished for more support or more of a resource and same with the other rural managers they're just really an amazing team with a wealth of information nice nice it sounds like your son might be a coach in the making It's funny how quickly they learn to ask questions and just that curiosity that's so natural to them. It's amazing, I know. So what is a final piece of wisdom you'd like to share? I have a quote that sits above my desk that speaks to me very regularly. And it says, on particularly rough days, I like to remind myself that my track record for getting through bad days so far is 100%. And that's pretty good. And I have other quotes that may speak to me on a regular basis or remind me to work harder on myself than I do my job. Some of them I switch up and change out, but I think that constant reminder of next day is going to be another day. And then refocusing on my values. I have my list of my values, which is so important to keep me true to myself and not just for me as a person, but as a leader. So I'd like to say thank you so much for being here today. I feel that the voice of the newer or the emerging leader is so important and we need to hear these stories of what it's like to be figuring things out, what it's like to be learning as you go. I think these stories are so valuable and so important to to everyone involved, to healthcare, the bigger picture but as well as to patient care. So thank you so much for your time today, Candice. The pleasure's all mine. I enjoyed being here. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line, 
leadership in healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media, so check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.